I've prepared this message on Thursday, the day after the now infamous Epiphany Capital Rampage, January 6th, 2021. A date that will be long remembered as the disastrous coda of Donald Trump's presidency, corruption in full flower. Given that by the time you watch this video, additional fallout will have transpired, this isn't the occasion for me to discuss these events in sober detail. But I certainly want to name the sadness and disgust many are experiencing. And the reminder that we must be vigilant in holding our nation and its leaders in heart and mind before God. This is a worship service, after all, that takes our attention to a larger frame of reference. But let's also be reminded that carrying a flag does not make one a patriot and invoking the name of Jesus Christ or holding aloft a placard with a Bible verse does not make one a Christian. However, carrying a Confederate flag while storming the nation's capital likely does suggest one is a racist insurrectionist. I point this out starkly because part of our national distress has to do with who we think we are, our grounding identity. It would seem a significant number of citizens have forgotten or never really identified what it means to be an American, let alone a Christian. Many have yet to come to terms with virulent white supremacy. Many have lost a grip on our sustaining institutions, even truth itself, capital T. Who are we and what shall we become? Are useful questions to hold in the foreground as we consider our identity as followers after the way of Jesus. Bracketing the chaos for a few minutes, consider with me how our worship helps answer these identity questions. For anyone new to the religious scene or newly returned to church, ritual liturgy can seem quite foreign, maybe requiring translation. There's no standard today for what constitutes official Christian worship behavior across the denominational spectrum. The options are numerous. Running the gamut from praise bands in a bar to high mass at St. Peter's in Rome and everything in between. Worship leaders dress in Hawaiian shirts and sandals, as well as elaborate regalia with pointy hats and embroidered robes. And here in virtual world, we've had to evolve and condense our normal liturgy to fit the medium, especially since we don't have access to our sanctuary that's under renovation. And by the way, due to a COVID outbreak at one of our suppliers, our reopening date has been moved to the first last week in March, just in time for Easter. Keep your fingers crossed. But without access to our sanctuary, we've had to rethink what we're delivering for nearly a year. I've been dressed in street clothes, addressing you from my kitchen table or the living room. The lesson in this, of course, is that any space can be a sanctuary, even the room in which you're watching this. Not a bad thing to be reminded of that you're that your very home is home to God.
a sanctuary of grace. A case can be made for all the forms and methods of worship, but what matters most is the sincerity of the worshipers and their desire to be fully known to God and to have God fully known to them. In other words, does the worship experience have integrity? Are the leaders and participants speaking humbly and authentically? Does the music from time to time open subterranean mystic doorways, supporting a faithful expression of heart and mind? Does the worship activity hold up the best of what it means to be human, made in God's image, and so forth? Christ Church has a remarkable and noble sanctuary that inspires a kind of noble worship. Given the nature of our sanctuary, we subscribe to some traditional worship patterns to the best of what the long Christian tradition offers, while remaining alert to current culture. In part, this is why the clergy normally wear robes and the choir processes to amplify the idea that what we're about actually matters quite a lot, with a deep taproot to the faith of our forebears. It locates us. We understand that we stand on the shoulders of others and that future generations will follow. Holy ritual captures this perspective of time as a sacred gift and obligation. At its best, ritual amplifies the things that matter most of all. You can see this in secular settings as well, especially this week. Consider that some, including elected officials, have forgotten to honor the ritual of peaceful transfer of power in our national life, a secular political ritual exemplifying the heart of democratic self-government, debased and defiled for all the world to see. Undergirding all of our worship activity are a few fundamental affirmations and rituals that are meant to explain and ennoble our lives wherever we live and move and have our being. So today, we mark Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River, and at Christ Church, we would normally incorporate a baptismal remembrance service into our liturgy. We do this because the day in particular allows us to remember and affirm something very crucial about our essential identity. Having been born, every last one of us confronts this stark question. Who am I really? And this variation, who am I going to be when I grow up? Turns out these questions aren't static or time-bound. At the age of 68, I can attest to their continuing relevance. I know this from my own experience, and I know it from hearing the experiences of hundreds of other people as they make their way forward in their years. When we baptize an infant, we hold in our hearts and minds the beauty of, of hum, human life, the human potential bundled in swaddling clothes. We'll ask parents the name of the child and and, and then tell them that they are loved immeasurably. And in all of this, that they are beloved children of God. That they should never forget this because knowing it gives confidence to live life fully courageously and righteously and that nothing in life or in death will be able to separate us from God's love. 
I believe that an inadequate answer to the question, who am I, drives most of our human problems and tragedies. Baptism concerns our essential identity. As you heard the story earlier, a voice from heaven addresses Jesus in the first person. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Baptism teaches us who we are, God's beloved children, and confers upon us the promise of God's unconditional regard. We sentimentalize this notion with babies, but honestly, I've known many 70-year-old men and women, not to mention 30- and 40-year-olds, who have either forgotten or never learned the full and factual answer to the question, who am I? This question undergirds everything we do at Christ Church. Humans have a natural craving to figure out who they are. This drives the burgeoning business of Ancestry.com. People flock to discover their genetic roots. It would be interesting to learn how many of you have had your saliva analyzed. But whether or not you found you're related to Charlemagne or Genghis Khan or an Ethiopian princess, Baptism reveals that all of us share a sacred genetic ancestry as children of God. Baptism is a tangible sign of our kinship across all tribalist divisions, which lies at the heart of justice. There's nothing magical about baptism. It doesn't confer some new mystical power. It names and claims a fundamental truth each one of us, child of God, precious in our givenness. And if we'll have it, destined for reunion at our true home not made with human hands. Baptism is God's work conferring confidence that no matter how often we fall short, nothing that we do or fail to do can remove the identity that God conveys as a gift our relationship with God is the one relationship in life we cannot actually permanently rupture because we did not establish it in the first place. We can neglect this relationship, we can deny it, we can run away from it, we can ignore it, but we cannot destroy it for God loves us too deeply and completely to ever let us go. In this difficult time when so many of our relationships are under duress and our national brokenness and injustice has been made clear, hear me when I say that this primary relationship remains solid and intact no matter what. By trusting this truth, we are freed to give ourselves wholly and completely to all the other relationships in our lives as agents of God's love. Can we trust, do we trust, that we are firmly held by God, that first and last we are God's? Remember your baptism and be thankful.